beginning a series of lessons on the oneness of God, and we're going to call them, we're going to call them one hour lessons in oneness. One hour lessons in oneness. I don't know how long we're going to be on this. It may be weeks, it may be months, it may be a year. However long God wants us to deal with this. One hour lessons on oneness. We're limited one hour because oneness will go on and on and on forever. And so we're just going to, we're going to take that segment and I think you can handle an hour's worth of information. Okay? Alright, praise the Lord. One hour lessons in oneness. To begin with, I want the ushers to come and hand y'all out some papers, please. These papers that you're going to get tonight. Number one, uh, let me give you some of the sources, resources I'm going to be using. I'm going to be using uh, some of the information from a Christology course, a Bible college course that I took a few years back from Indiana Bible College on Christology, okay? They primarily use David Menard's resources on the oneness of God. I'll be using some of that uh, and then some other things that I'm personally researching. There's going to be a lot of resources. I'm even going to be using Trinitarian resources. Because I want to uh, look and see where they're coming from. And then try to explain to you. Maybe the reason why they see Trinitarian things in the word of the Lord. Okay. And answer some of their, their questions. Alright. Okay. First thing is look at your papers please. Before you look at the memory verse page. Before you look at that, how many, how many verses of, of Scripture can you write down personally? I'm talking about references that you can write down per personally on the oneness of God. I'll give you just a minute or so to think about that. You got to, by the way, you probably want to take notes. So if you've got some paper and pens, it would be a good idea because this is going to be all teaching. I probably won't run, shout, pull the walls down or anything like that tonight. We're just going to be doctrine. And you teach doctrine. So I'm going to teach it. And, it, and it's going to be methodical. And it's probably going to be slow at times. And it's probably going to be boring to you at times. And I'm going to tell you why. Because of terms that will be used. The terms that will be used are going to bore you. But they're important terms for you to understand the Word of God. Okay? All right. So how many of y'all were able to come up with two or three verses on the oneness of God? How many could come up with two? How many three? How many five? You could come up with five verses on the oneness of God. How many, I mean right now you could write five verses down, references. Ten. Okay, well don't feel bad. <clears throat> this uh, particular instructor of, of this Bible course on Christology Asked that very question to his students, and the average was about two and a half verses. So that's why I have given you this Christology memory verse list, so that you can memorize them. Okay? There are two ways that you can be lost doctrinally wrong will cause you to go to hell. If you're doctrinally wrong, you will go to hell. If you are morally wrong, you will go to hell. Those are the only two things that I know. <clears throat> there could be more. But those for sure, if you're not doctrinally correct, especially in the area 
of who God is and who Jesus is. If you don't believe that He is God, you will go to hell. John 8 says this. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. If you don't believe that He is yod heh vav Yahweh, you will die in your sins. So this doctrine here is very important. Because if you don't believe that Jesus is God, you will be lost. He said it himself. I didn't say that. He said that. So doctrinally, you can be incorrect doctrinally and go to hell. And you can be morally incorrect and go to hell. Which means you can be doctrinally correct but morally wrong. If you're doctrinally correct and morally wrong, you'll still go to hell. You understand? That is very important. You have to be doctrinally correct. You have to be morally correct. You have to be live holy unto God. Or you will die and go to hell. Okay? So that's how serious and how important this is. So please take this Christology memory verse list and memorize all of these verses. You think you can do that? If I did it, I know you can. You got better brains than I've got. Okay, the next one, next page I gave you is a definition of Christology. A definition of Christology. It is the doctrine of study of Christ. The doctrine of the study of Christ. Webster's defines it the theological interpretation of the person and work of Christ. Got that? You've got the paper. Okay. Definition of oneness. Consists basically of two affirmations. God is absolutely and indivisibly one with no distinction of persons. Let's read it together. God is absolutely and indivisibly one with no distinction of persons. Number two. In those scriptures, Deuteronomy 6.4, Galatians 3.20. Number two. Jesus Christ is all the fullness of the Godhead incarnate. Okay? So read it with me. Jesus Christ is all the fullness of the Godhead incarnate. That is the definition of oneness. All right? Let's look at a definition of Trinitarianism because that is the prominent other teaching on the nature of Jesus. Definition of Trinitarianism, belief that there is one God in three persons. One God in three persons, or three persons in one substance. These three persons are called God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. That's Trinitarianism. Three separate persons in the Godhead. Now there is another one, binitarianism, that is a doctrine that we'll look at that primarily the Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is a God, but he is not the one God of the Old Testament, that he is a demigod, a God. That is false doctrine. Jesus is not a God, he is the mighty God. Okay? So, anyway, these are some definitions and, and some verses for you to take a look at. 
Let's pray. Father, we just thank you right now for your awesome, awesome goodness towards us. We ask God that you would inspire us with the Holy Ghost tonight. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mighty word tonight. And we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, okay. to begin with, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, you have that on the first, that's the first verse on your paper. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, it says what? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, our Elohim, God, is one Yahweh. Not two, not three, one. Do you understand that? That is the fundamental, basic, first teaching of Jewish belief. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our Elohim, is one Yahweh. Okay, you with me here? So in the beginning tonight, we're going to talk about the existence of God. All right? Y'all with me tonight? Y'all going to help me? Okay. The existence of God. How many of y'all believe that God exists? How do you know He exists? How do you know there is a God? Huh? What lets you know there's a God? You just think there's a God? Hope there's a God? <laughs> I know you do it by faith. Believe there's God. Why? Well, number one, Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, and I'm really going to move pretty quick here, so y'all get ready. The existence of God, number one, and I'm going to follow an outline. We're going to fill in the outline. The argument, the argument from cause or creation. Okay? Because there is a creation, that means there has to be a creator. Now, Psalm 19, let's look at this verse, okay? Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. You have, when you look at the creation, you have a general revelation of God. General revelation of God, okay? The Word of God is special revelation. Special revelation. Creation is general revelation, so Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day into day uttereth speech. Night into night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath He set a tabernacle for the sun. So the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. So creation lets us know that there's a God. 
Go to Romans 1. Creation is teaching us 24 hours a day. Creation is teaching you that God exists. It never stops preaching to you that God exists. Romans 1.20 Every time you get up in the morning, you look out your door and you see the sun shining, it declares to you that there's a creator, that there is a God. At night, you go out and look at all the stars and that declares to you there is a creator. All right, 120 of Romans, Romans 120. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So it, creation declares unto you that there is a God. You believe that? That's what it says. And it shows you that God who created is a powerful God. His eternal power and Godhead. He is a powerful God. And He is all wise. Alright? So creation tells you that there's a God. Psalm 19, 1-4, Romans 1 and 20. And then Romans also talks about that there is your conscience tells you there's a God. You ever wonder what your conscience is? You ever wonder where your, where your conscience is located? It's in your human spirit. So in your human spirit, your conscience declares unto you that there is a God. The fact that you have the ability to know that some things are wrong and some things are right declare to you that there's a God. You with me here? Your conscience tells you that. Do you know that there are some parts of the world, let me just use for example in Taiwan or in China, that, and I'm not saying this is, uh, this is a broad stroke, okay? I'm not saying this applies to everybody in Taiwan. But in certain cultures like Taiwan, like China, China, their morality is very high when it comes to modesty. Now you do have major immodesty over there, but there is a real modesty in people there that even people who are not born-again believers are modest. They won't look at, men won't look at a naked woman that they're not married to. Where did that come from? It came from their conscience. They're not even born again, but their conscience tells them, don't do that. That's wrong. Where'd they get that? Don't even know God. Some were idol worshipers. They got that in their spirit, in their conscience. God put that in them. That there is right and wrong. Okay? So their conscience declares that there is a God. So, creation, general revelation uh, uh, that God exists. And then the conscience lets us know there is a God. Now, when you talk about creation, look at the design of creation. Look at the incredible order, orderliness and complexity of the universe. From atoms to galaxies, they all testify that there is a designer. There's no way the complexity of the galaxies and the atoms, there's no way 
that it could just all happen by luck or by chance. It's too orderly. It's too complex. So the design of creation and its order lets you know that there has to be somebody behind that. Do you believe me? Do you believe the word of God tonight? It, it could not have just happened. And it didn't, it's not just luck that all this took place the way it is. That there's a sun in the sky by luck or by chance and stars in the heaven by chance. And everything you know in creation just by chance or luck. That, that. So that shows that, de- that there's a designer. Let me just share with you today, there is no such thing as luck. No such thing as luck and no such thing as chance. Because God is the one who has designed everything and keeps everything in order. And there is what is called cause and effect. There is no such thing as chance and luck. Especially when it comes to creation. It didn't just happen by chance. Your very existence as a person, your very existence as a being, B-E-I-N-G, not a being, but a being. The fact that you are a being testifies that there is a God. How could we even have a concept of a transcendent God unless he placed it in our minds? If somebody, and, I, and it's God, didn't put inside of your mind that, number one, you are a being, and I am, and that there has to be an I am outside of you, where did that come from? My point is you're not an it. You see, an it doesn't have self-awareness. You have self-consciousness. You are self-aware, and because you are self-aware, you are an I am. You're not an it. And because you have self-awareness, you realize, and in your being, you realize that there's somebody outside of you that made you. You understand? Something outside of you, transcendent, simply means this. It means above the human mind transcendency of God above the human mind and not limited to the earth that's what transcendency means okay so the fact that you are an I am not the I am but you are an I am you are self-aware you have self-conscious you are a being proves that there is a God how come I don't know that. Because he placed that in my mind. Do you understand? If he's above my mind, if he's transcendent, he's above my mind and not limited to the earth, for me to think about, you know, God, that there's a God, had to come from somewhere. Okay? It had to come from somewhere. Do you understand? I don't know if you're getting this point. It had to come from somewhere. You don't have the ability to believe something that's above your mind if that, that which is above your mind 
if he didn't put that in your mind. Okay? So the fact that you believe there's a God that's beyond your mind, and in your mind you know he's there, means that it had to be a God to put that in your mind. Or you would never even have a realization that he exists. Or even think that he exists. You understand? Okay. Say praise the Lord. Morality. Romans 2.15. Look at this verse. All right. Praise God. Now I'm only going to go for an hour. So get what you can. All right. How many of you believe there's a God then? By creation, design, being, and now morality. Romans 2.15. The Bible talks about. Which show, we're talking about the conscience here now. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile excusing or, uh, accusing or excusing one another. So because, let me ask you this. Why does everybody have a conscience? I mean everybody has a conscience. Why? Why does everybody have some concept of morality? Everybody. Why? Why don't animals? Animals don't have the concept of morality because animals are not self-aware. They are its. You are I am. You understand? You have self-awareness. They don't have self-awareness. You have a conscience. You have a conscience of morality, right and wrong. You have self-awareness. Animals don't have that. They are its. Do you understand? So the fact that you've got a conscience, you've got self-awareness, you are aware of right and wrong inwardly. I'm talking about everybody's got this. Not just people who have heard the word preached, but everybody has a conscience. Where'd the conscience come from? Had to come from God. Had to be God. The conscience proves there is a God. I have self-awareness. I know right from wrong. I am conscience. My dogs don't have that. They're its. Your animals don't have that. They'll stand in front of a mirror and bark at that mirror. Thinking they're looking at another dog. But that's them. And see they don't know in that mirror that's them, a reflection of them. So they're barking at a reflection of themselves, not knowing that that's them because they don't have self-awareness. Okay? When Adam was created and he looked in the pool of water there, he said, that's me. Self-awareness. That's me. Okay? But if a dog were to walk over there, an animal were to walk over there to, next to Adam, and that animal look into the pool of water, that animal doesn't know that that's it. Doesn't have self-awareness. So the fact that you've got a conscience, you've got self-awareness, and you know inwardly there's something wrong and there's something right, even if I never even preached the Word of God to you, and you may be on an island somewhere, because you've got that, lets you know even as a heathen there's a God. That's why people who have never heard the gospel preached worship what they don't know. They worship an unknown God 
Why do they do that? Because of this self-awareness, this conscience, this morality, right and wrong. They know there's something bigger than them. You understand? They know right and wrong. So anyway, morality is going to prove it. Because animals don't have that concept. You know? I mean, you can train an animal, but they don't know wrong and right. They just know if, if they don't do something, then they don't eat. Or if they do something, they eat or whatever, whatever the concept is. You know what I'm saying? They, they operate off of instinct. They've got instinct, but not self-awareness. Okay? Does it help you? Okay, Hebrews 11, 6, next one I'm going to touch on. I'm going to jump a few of these, but the next one, Hebrews eleven six, 6, faith. Now, watch this. Faith, Hebrews 11, verse 6. This is one of the most awesome verses to me in the area of what I am teaching in all the Bible. It is awesome because it is a statement of fact. There are certain things in the Word of God, you know, in the Word of God as a whole, but especially certain statements that are made that are statements of fact. Hebrews eleven six. Are you with me? Proving the existence of God here. Let me get there. Hebrews eleven and six. Mm, thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Hebrews 11 and verse 6. But without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Statement of fact. What do we learn from that verse? That number one, you might want just put number one on your paper. Number one, what I can learn from this verse, a statement of fact, okay, is that it is possible to please God it is also possible to displease God. Statement of fact. You can please God or you can displease God. It is impossible, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God, say to God, must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. All right, so what do we learn? Facts. It's possible to please God. It's possible to displease God. What else did we learn? If you don't have faith, then it's impossible to please God. Right? Write that down. For he that cometh to God, say to God. Number three fact in this verse, God exists. God exists, right? He that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Say Him. So He is a He. He is an I am. He is not an it. See, are you with me here? <laughs> if He were an it, He would just be an energy force Without the capability of self-awareness, he wouldn't even know of his own existence if he were just energy. He wouldn't have the ability to know you exist. He wouldn't have the ability uh, to express any emotion if he's an it. 
Do you understand? He could not answer prayer if he's an it. But God is he. That's a fact, tells us. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Fact, God is he. God is an I am. He has self-awareness and he's aware that you exist. He has the ability to hear your prayers, to relate to you. Do you understand? Okay. Just hang on to that thought because we're talking about pantheism in just a minute. Pantheism teaches that God is an it. He's not an it. He's an I am. He's a he. So 11.6 declares to us that he's he. All right? And really, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So he's aware of himself, and he's also aware of those who seek him by faith. And because he is aware of his own existence, he will reward those who seek him. You with me? Let me go through this again then. All right. What are the facts we learn from this verse? Awesome, awesome, awesome facts. Faith proves there's God. All right? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. You can please God or displease God. Number two, you can please God only by faith. Number three, God is he. He's not an it. Number four, he is aware, self-aware, and he is also aware of you. And if you diligently seek him, he will reward you. But it's by faith. Got that? Say praise the Lord. All right, so faith declares there's a God. Now, I'm just going to run through these real fast. The nature of God. We talk about God, His, His attributes. God has attributes. Okay? Let me just start out by, by saying this one thing. That where we begin is real important here. God is one. That is the given. Look at your neighbor and say, that's the given. You've got to start somewhere. That's where we're starting tonight. God is one. God exists and then he is one. That's the given. That's where we start. We start from the primary and then go from the, the primary down to the parts. Are you here with me? I'm trying to help you understand how to interpret the word of God. When you interpret the word of God, you can... You can be, uh, uh, you can approach it from taking parts and, and putting parts together and then coming up with a whole. Or you can start with the whole and then from the whole examine the parts of the whole. You with me here? So what we have to do is we have to start with a given. And that's what I'm doing. God exists. That's the primary thing. And then everything else we'll look at Will, will show us that God exists, that He is one. Now watch this. This is where Trinitarian doctrine 
where the Trinitarian doctrine, we can agree with a lot of the principles of interpretation of the Word of God. Okay? Called hermeneutics. And that simply is laws of interpretation. The way that you interpret the Bible. Certain principles and laws you go by in interpreting the Bible. There are hermeneutics. There are are biblical principles that we agree on in interpreting the Bible. Okay? You with me here? But what makes the difference is what is the given? Where do you start? For them, the Trinitarians will start their given... The primary thing is the doctrine of the Trinity. So they start with the Trinity as the primary thing and they try to gather, you see what I'm saying? From that, all the parts that support the whole. But for us, our given is not the Trinity. Our given is God is one. That's the primary, that's the whole. And then from that, we go and get the parts. Do you understand? Okay, so that's what we're doing. Now, we know that God exists. Let's talk about His nature. And I'm going to use the word nature. Uh, I don't know enough about the background of the word nature to not use it. Okay? So I'm going to use the word nature for the sake of communication. I don't know if that's a good biblical term or not. Okay? Oneness theologians use it. Trinitarian theologians use it a lot. But I don't know its origin. But for right now, for the sake of understanding, his nature. Let's talk about the nature of God. Non-moral attributes. Say with me, non-moral attributes. God is a spirit. John 4, 24. His nature. God is a spirit. God is a spirit. God is not a man. God is a spirit. John 4, 24. God, come on, added to himself another nature, okay? But that didn't make God a man. God is a spirit who robed himself in humanity. Had a dual nature. Jesus was God and man. But God is a spirit. He is not a man. You have to understand that. God, look at your name and say, God is a spirit. God is not a man. Woo. That shocked some of you. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's a spirit. Woo. Glory to God. I'm starting to feel good now. I, I tell you what, I was so nervous. I, you know, the largest, the vastest of this subject just scared me to death. <laughs> but I'm feeling good now. I'm feeling all right. His normal attribute, he's spiritual. He is a spirit. God is a spirit. John 4, 24. God is life. John 1, 4. God is life. And that life is the light of men. Do you understand? God is spirit. God is life. God is individual. Genesis 1, 1 through 3, 26 through 27. His non-moral attributes, individuality, okay? God, that verse proves his individuality. God is a rational God. 
He's a God of rationality. Isaiah 1.18, he says, come, let us reason together. So God is a rational God. God will reason with you. Okay? And you can reason with God. God is self-existence. Self-existent. Say praise the Lord. Exodus 3.14. Nobody created God. He is self-existent. He created everything, but He is uncreated. Uncreated God. Ooh, man. He is, and that's Exodus 3.14. He is invisible. John 1.18. 1 Timothy 6.16. John 1.18. No man has seen God at any time. No man has seen God. Why? Because God's a spirit. No man has seen God at any time. John 1.18, he's invisible. 1 Timothy 6.16, he dwells in unapproachable light. The invisible God. You have never seen the spirit of God. Never. Okay, you with me? Well, Pastor, I thought, no, I'm not getting into that. What you saw was a manifestation of God. If you saw a, a light or you saw a cloud or you saw fire or you saw him in human form, then you saw a manifestation of God. But you have never seen the Spirit of God. He is invisible. He is eternal. Deuteronomy 33, 27. Deuteronomy 33, 27. 1 Timothy 1, 17. He is eternal. Okay? You with me here? He dwells in eternity. Breaks into time, our time, at times. Okay? But He is eternal. There has never been a time that God did not exist. There will never be a time that God will ever cease to exist. God has always existed. He is eternal. Now I'm telling you. Woo! See, I just won't go off here, but I got to teach you. I'm just having so much fun here. God is omnipresent. Psalm 139, verse 7. Psalm 139, verse 7 through 13. He is omnipresent, which means there is no place that God is not. The Spirit of God is everywhere. The Spirit of God is in heaven, in the heavens. He is in hell. He is everywhere. There is no place that God is not. Now, I'm not saying that God is in this metal. But I'm talking about a habitable space. There is no place that God is not. He is omnipresent. Awesome God. Omnipotent. 1 Timothy 6.15. Omnipotent. He has all power. All power, not some power, all power. He's omnipotent. That is 1 Timothy 6.15. He is omniscient. Psalm 139, 1 through 6, omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing that he does not know. <clears throat> Are you with me? Now, he can choose not to know. 
or he can choose to know. But there's nothing that is without the realm of his knowledge. He knows everything. You with me here? Malachi 3.6, he is immutable. His immutability, which means God does not change. He is an unchanging God. Immutable God. Okay? He is transcendent. What did I tell you transcendence was? Transcendence is above the human mind, but not limited to the earth. Above the human mind and not limited to the earth. That's transcendence. He is beyond our mind. He is beyond our finite mind. And he's not limited to the earth. And then Deuteronomy 6, 4, he is, in his nature, he is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And that is absolute oneness. God is one. Okay? With me here? Let's talk about some other attributes of God. He, his moral attributes. God is holy. That is the chief attribute of God. He is holy. He is separate. He is undefiled. Separate from sinners. Do you understand? He is holy. Yes, Lord. Woo, man. He is other than us. Holy. Leviticus 11.45. That, and he is called what? He is not called the holy two. He is not called the holy three. All the way through the Bible, he is called the holy one of Israel. Or the holy one. So he is holy. Say holy. Moral attribute. He's a just God. He's a righteous God. 1 John 1 and 9. He's a God of love. 1 John 4, 8. Romans 5, 8. He's a God of mercy and grace. Psalm 103, verse 8. Are with me here? Did I, did I leave you? Love, 1 John 4, 8. Mercy and grace, Psalm 103, 8. Psalm 103, 8. Okay. Faithfulness. God is faithful. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. That is a part of His moral character. He is faithful. He is truthful. He, in fact, He's not just truthful. He is truth. God is truth. Deuteronomy 32, 4. God is good. Exodus 34, 6. Okay? All right. Y'all with me here? So that, that gives you a few things to show you that God exists, number one. And then we talk about His non-moral attributes. And then we talked about His moral attributes. That shows you the nature of God. All right? The oneness of God. Now let's focus on the oneness of God. Y'all with me here? This is known as absolute monotheism. Absolute oneness. Let's give you some terms. Okay? Define some terms. Monotheism. The word mono means alone. Alone. A-L-O-N-E. Alone. It means one. Okay? Monotheism. Theism God. Alone God. One God. There's not two gods. There's not three gods. There's only one God. Right? How many gods is there? 
There's only one God. Say praise the Lord. Interesting. Okay, let me back up with you and, and share some things with you, okay? How many of you believe that God is one? That's where we're starting. That's the given. God is one. He always Lord our God is one Lord, okay? Now, whenever you talk about God, you live in a culture right now in the West, okay? There's the Eastern philosophy and the Western philosophy about God. And the way they look at God, Western civilization comes from a Greek philosophy. And that Greek philosophy that has gripped us is humanism. Humanism looks on the inside of themselves and defines God. You with me here? Humanism creates God in their own image. Instead of God creating us in His image, humanism creates a God in their own image. You understand? From Greek philosophy. Eastern mysticism looks on the inside of them. And there's God and there's goddesses and all these things. And, and they're trying to locate God. But what I'm, my point is, when you all, when it's all said and done, it's just a quagmire of, of, of craziness. You understand? Some people will teach, it doesn't matter how you believe. All views of God are acceptable. That's where the United States of America are going right now. All gods, all belief systems about God are acceptable. Okay? So they'll make Islam, which is the faith of the Muslim. Muslims are followers of Islam. Muhammad is the prophet. They will make, they're trying to make that a state relig or a national religious system. They're trying to recognize it in the United States of America. You understand? What they're trying to do basically is saying that it doesn't matter what you believe about God because it's all relative anyway. You really can't know anything about God. Come on, listen to me. You really can't know anything about God, so it's all relative anyway. You can believe on, on a God of your choosing any way you want to because you can't know about God anyway. It's all relative. So as long as you worship some God... As long as that God makes you happy, then that should be acceptable, and it is acceptable to a relative thinking person. Doesn't matter what you think about God. It's all relative. You understand? Because we can't know that there's a God. It's what they say. We can't know about God. Right? So they start from looking, they're looking within they're trying to define God on their own terms. What they think He should be like. So they create a God in their own image. Why do they do that? Because you can't know about God. That's their thinking. 
That's called relativism, all right? That's where our world is today. Don't bring your teaching, they will say, your teaching about who God is because all you're trying to do is get me to believe in what you think about God. I don't want to I, I be converted to what you think about God because I have my own definition of God and it's all relative anyway. We're all going to the same place, you know. So they make a terrible mistake by looking within to try to determine who God is and what God is because they say nobody can know about Him anyway. Okay, let me explain something to you. All right, I'm treading out here. I'm, I'm believing that you can handle this. All right. So what they will then do is then they will start looking. If you don't look within, then you have to look where? If you can't come up with, with a God in your own making, the God of your own liking, you know, the God that you define as God, then what do you do if you can't find one in here? Then you got to go outward. If you can't find one inward, then you got to go outward. Okay, so if you go outward, the first thing you got to do is go downward. So, this isn't hard. Don't, don't look at me like that. If, I can, if my little pea brain can understand it, so can yours. So, well, my point is, some look within to locate, to find God, who He is, what He's like. And if you can't do that, then you've got to go on the outside. If you go outside, you've got directions. You've got down, you've got up, and you've got up across. You've got across, you've got down, you've got upward. Okay? So, all right. Well, I'm trying to find out where do we go to, to find out about God? Where do we go to know about God? Do we look inside? Can't do that, can you? Because we have an example of people who look inside Got all kinds of gods, all kinds of false gods and goddesses and idols and okay, I got ten minutes left. And I'm be boy, I'm gonna be punctual like you never seen. You can't find it in here, all right? Then you try to find it outside. So the first thing you do is you go downward, like some of them do, and you start looking at the insects. And then you, so you move over into the era of pantheism. You believe that God is an energy force. That he's an it. He's an energy force. He's not, you know, an I am self-aware. He's just an energy force. That's pantheism. God is in everything. God is in everything. So he's in the insects. Right? He can be in the insects according to pantheism because he's just an energy force anyway. Not a personal God. So they look at the insects. But here's a problem with insects. If you as an I am look at an insect, you're going to run into a real problem. Because insects are its. They don't even have self-awareness. They don't even have self-consciousness. So for you to try to find God downwardly, you're going to be really confused. Because real soon you're going to realize that these insects, insects are its and you're an I am. 
You have self-awareness, so you can't look downward, can't find God down in the insects, because you're higher than they are. Right? You can't find God downward, then what man has tried to do, he's tried to locate God upward. Now, now, I'm not talking about the God of the Bible looking upward. I'm talking about like the Babylonians and the Greeks, etc. They look for God upward. And what they do is sort of like Greek mythology. They have these God and goddesses in the heavens. But they are finite. So now you got a problem on your hands. You look up upward. you got these finite gods. False. They're, again, there's no such thing. But... Greek mythology, you know, you got Zeus up there and you got this woman up there and, and he looking down, he sees a woman he likes on the earth and he's got, see, what I'm trying to say, upward you got finite gods, they cheat, they lie, and they commit adultery. So they're no better than you are, so you can't look upward, you can't look downward because they're it's, you're higher than they are. You can't look upward like the Greeks and the Babylonians did and find and look to finite gods because they're lying and cheating and committing adultery just like you. So they're no better off than you are. And so then you can't, you can't, you can't look downward, you can't look upward, and then you can't look across either. You see, you can't look to your, your, the brother or the person standing or sitting beside you either. And say, you, Mr. Guru, explain to me God. Well, he can't explain to you God because he doesn't even know God. So for you to try to go to a guru or some religious leader and ask him to define God for you, he can't do that because he doesn't even know God. So your source of knowledge for God is not downward, it's not upward, and it's not across ways either. It's not looking to human beings. It's not looking to any so-called Dalai Lama or somebody like that because they don't even know God. And you're trying to get information from them? So then if you can't find God inwardly and you can't find God outwardly, downward, upward, or across, then where are you going to find God? The only place you can find Him. His self-revelation. And where did he reveal himself? He revealed himself in the creation. But that's general revelation. He revealed himself by the scripture. This is the only way you can find God. Is general revelation of creation and the word of God. Because I'm telling you, you're going to be messed up if you're trying to find God on the inside. Making your own little God. Outside, downward, upward, or across. That's the mess we're in in the world today because everybody has a relative God. It doesn't really matter what you believe because we can't know God anyway, you know. And you can't look in downward, upward, or across. But there is a place you can go to. Here's the good news. There is a place you can go to to find out about this one God who exists. I said one God who exists. And it's in His self-revelation or His self-disclosure. It's the Word of God. It is the Holy Scriptures. That's where you go to find out and to know God. Give the Lord some praise. Woo! 
Yeah. I'm going to give you a big old double-jointed word. Look at your neighbor and say epistemology. See, your epistemology is real important. You know what epistemology is? Epistemology is how you can determine truth. How can I get knowledge? How can I know truth? That's what epistemology is. And what our epistemology is, is this. It is starting out with the fact that God exists and he is one. And from that main thing, then we go and get all the parts to understand the main thing. You got to start somewhere and that somewhere that we start is that God exists and that God is one. And I can know him because he's revealed himself in his holy word and in the scriptures. That's my knowledge. That's my epistemology. That's how I can know truth. Where I can get truth about God. It's not downward. It's not upward. It's not across. It's not inward. It's in the word of God. Because that is the self-revelation of God Almighty. So I'm not going to the Dalai Lama and asking him about eternity. I'm not asking the Dalai Lama about heaven and hell. Because he don't even know the God of heaven and hell. I don't go to the Scientologist. I don't go to the cult leader. I go to the Bible. I go to the Word of God. Because that is the thing that reveals God to me. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? You look at people today. They're searching. They're on a search. They're on a search right now. They're looking. But you see, they're going to all these religious leaders of the world and trying to get their answer. And they put it on television and they hear it and they confuse the majority of humanity. But I got good news for you right now. I've got a place I can go and that's the Holy Word of God. And I can tell you by that word about this God, I can know Him. It's not relative. He's not somebody that I can't know. It is objective. I can show you objective truth that God exists and that God is one by the Word of the Lord. Give God some praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <coughs> He's an awesome God. And the next thing you need to know about studying God. How much time do I got, brother? Hey, 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 don't, hey. Two minutes? I'm, two minutes, he gave me two minutes. Next thing, when you go to the Word of God, then you've got to go to the Word of God properly. You've got to start with a given. You've got to start somewhere. The Bible said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Come on. Yes. Yes, yes. You start there, right? And then you go from there and you get Bible and you're going to see everywhere in the Bible it's going to, it's going to be supported. You understand? And so then you have, to, you have to apply the hermeneutics of God. Hermeneutics of God are this. You don't eisegete, you exegete. Everybody can eisegete. What that means is once they get the Bible, once they understand that this is the only way that you can know God, is by His Scripture, special revelation, and by His creation, and by conscience, but specifically the Word. 
Once you know that, then you've got to know how to, uh, to understand, how to know by hermeneutics, our laws of interpretation. So when you go to the Word of God, the problem with the, the reason why there are so many different teachings about God one says he's one, another says he's a trinity, another says he's binitarian. Because you have to, you cannot eisegete. Which means you can't take the word of God and read into the text what you think is there. That is eisegesis. When you do that, then God becomes God by your definition. Are you hearing me tonight? Then God becomes God according to your definition because this is what they say. Well, I'm just going to read the Bible and I'm going to let it talk to me. And whatever it says to me is the truth. That's eisegesis. Yeah, read the Bible. Let God's Word talk to you. But be careful about that. Because what will happen is, if you just say, okay, I'm going to let it talk to me. And what I determine is the truth. That's eisegesis. That's reading into the Bible something you think is there that's not there. That's where the problem is today with people who handle the Word of God. They get all these tools together and all this stuff. They're trying to understand the Word. And they come to a conclusion. Could be wrong could be right a lot of times they're just simply reading into the Bible what they want to see in the Bible they take their own problem they take their own trouble they take their own pain they take their own mentality and they take it and they push it into the word of God they say this is what the Bible said no that's what you say the Bible said I don't want to hear what you say about the Bible. I don't want to hear what you say the Bible says. I want to hear what the Bible says. And so then we have to use another term in hermeneutics called exegesis. And the word exegesis means to dig out of the text. Go to the very text and study the text and find out what that author is saying in that text. Not your own conclusion, but what this Bible is telling you about God. Give God some praise. So in the closing, I'm telling you, if you start out with your primary being Trinity, then you're going to try to eisegete the Trinity in everything you read. But if you start out, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You start out with that. Then you go to the Word of God and you will see that the Bible, the text of the Bible itself, as you dig out of it, it will declare this very truth. Give God praise.